are in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to make our way through the story. I think you guys know this. If you, even if you haven't been in Sunday school, you probably know the story fairly well. But there's a really big lesson to learn from the book of Jonah, a really big truth, a big Sunday school answer that I hope will be encouragement to us today. And it's something I don't think we quite have a grip on and we need to recapture so that we can be everything God will have us to be. Let's start out in the book of Jonah, chapter 4. And we're just going to read verses 9 through 11. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. And the word of God says, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. In verse 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 120,000 people, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. What do you remember about Jonah from your Sunday school lessons? Big fish, talk about a fish story. Big fish, what else? Say it louder. Oh, what? Oh, no, not Jonah, Joshua, right? <laughs> what else about Jonah and a big fish? Anybody else? Oh, come on. He didn't want to go. Okay, those are probably some of the things we primarily remember from our lessons. Jonah didn't want to go. He got swallowed by a big fish, and he preached to a bunch of people. And maybe that's what you remember. But there are some really big truths in this book, and I want one to walk away with one today. I hope you'll walk away with this truth. And this truth this morning is that God is merciful, and he desires mercy. God delights in mercy, and so should we. Do you believe God is merciful? Up here you do. But how about with your feet? How about with your hands? And that's what I hope the Lord will speak to you today. I hope that I'm not going to be too much of a downer, but we need to go through some of these things to get where we need to go today. When was the last time you felt like someone took advantage of you or mistreated you or didn't give you what you thought you deserved? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> It may be your spouse. We don't want to have any problems like that today. When is the last time somebody took advantage of you or mistreated you or didn't give you what you thought you deserved? How did you handle it? Did you speak up? Did you lash out? Did you pout? Did you speak sarcastically? Did you ignore? Did you seek revenge? Or did you search for mercy? Hang on to that idea today. When was the last time someone mistreated you? And I want you to work with me through the book of Jonah. And I hope that even in that event, the Lord is going to speak to your heart this morning 
and you're going to see the merciful God that you serve, and you're going to see what it is for you to show mercy. All right, if you'd like in your Bibles, flip back to chapter 1. We're going to make our way through just so that we're all on the same page. We want to look first at God's call and Jonah's choice. God's call, Jonah's choice. Look in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Lord speaks very clearly to Jonah. What's he tell him to do? Go to Assyria, go to the capital city, Nineveh, 120,000 people around that place, and preach judgment to them. I am going to destroy them for their sins. Go and preach judgment. Now, what do you think is running through Jonah's mind when the Lord calls him to that? Well, if you got to know a little bit about world history at the time, and Assyria at the time was the power of the day. They were the strongest at the moment. And if you guys know this from world history, they were one of the most cruel people that existed on the planet. Uh, You've probably heard me say this before, but it is documented in history that the Assyrians drug away some of their slaves and some of their captives by fish hooks on the way. That was their character. Maybe we would, if you think about Vikings and some of the things you've heard about, the cruelty of Vikings, the Assyrians would fit in that same kind of frame of mind. Now, if you also know about world history, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by what country? Assyria. And they were taken captive and some of them were taken away. So, how do you think that Jonah felt about the Assyrians. Good friends? Great neighbors to the north? And again, we don't know this. This is pure speculation, pure pure penology, but it could be that Jonah actually had some friends and some family members that may have been taken captive or abused or hurt because of the power and the cruelty of the Assyrians. So when God tells Jonah, Jonah go to Nineveh and preach judgment, what do you think he's thinking? Well, first thing might be like, you would think, hey, finally, justice is coming. Yes, I will go there. I'm going to tell those people what for. And God, you bring down the fire and you take them out. But that's not what he does, right? What does Jonah do? Can you pull up the map there, Diane? Down in the lower right corner is Joppa. That's where Jonah's at. God says go to where? Nineveh, which is not that far north, a little bit of ways. A little one uh, ship trip up to, to, to Nineveh. Where does Jonah try to go to? Spain! He tries to go to Spain! Tarshish! Now this isn't really making sense, is it? Like God says, go and preach judgment to your enemy, Jonah. And I'm going to preach judgment to them. Why wouldn't Jonah do that? 
Well, one thing is maybe he's just afraid, right? I mean, these are cruel, wicked people, and I'm scared to death. But I'm going to tell you today, that isn't the reason at all why Jonah ran. You know why Jonah ran? Because God is merciful. What? Jonah was afraid that God would forgive this wicked, wicked people. Is there anybody that you don't really want to share the gospel with because you're afraid God might save them? You know what I'm talking about? That person is so wicked, they're so evil, they're so cruel, their people have done so much to me, or people like that have done so much to me, or that person has done so much to me, I can't wait for God to give them what they deserve. Have you ever been in that place? Is the preacher only the person in this room that's ever been in that place? Right? Well, you're starting to get a feel a little bit about where Jonah was at. Real quick recap, chapter one, you guys know how things go, right? Jonah says, I'm going to go to Spain. God says, no, you're not. (laughs) He gets in a boat. The storm comes up on the sea. All of a sudden, the sailors are scared. When the sailors are scared of the sea, you got a problem, right? The sailors are nervous. They're like, "Uh uh-oh. So they get out the lots. They start casting the lots, and guess whose lot comes up? It's that guy. What's Jonah tell him to do? Yeah, I know it's me. Isn't it interesting? He knows what God's expected. He even expects God's judgment on his disobedience. I'm the guy. Throw me over the, overboard. Everything will be okay. And what do the sailors say? Do they just throw him overboard right away? No, no, Jonah, we can't do that. Let's start rowing. So they row and they row, and what happens? Absolutely nothing. They're not able to get anywhere. And finally they're like, Jonah, we're sorry, but I think you're right you got to go. And they toss him overboard. And if you read chapter 1, you'll find that the sailors give glory to the God of Jonah, which is pretty interesting in the middle of that situation. And Jonah gets flung into the sea. He's probably like, this is the end of me. This is the end of everything. I should have obeyed maybe, but I didn't want to because I know who this God is, and I don't want these enemies of mine to get mercy. Hmm. Now, if you'll bear with me just a second, I want to tie this to a few things. What was Jonah's dream in his life? What was he really hoping for in his life? Probably the same thing many of us are. He wanted a life of peace and prosperity. Anybody here want a life of peace and prosperity? At least peace, right? If you give me the first one, maybe I can deal without the second. (laughs) And that's a dream of many, many people. But again, what you're going to find in Jonah's life, did he get his dream? Have you guys ever had something you really hoped for fall through? Hello? What does that do to a person? I'm trying to be careful here. I've got lots of illustrations, but some of them are too personal. (laughs) Jonah, he had an expectation, he had a hope, and his kingdom now is not the kingdom that it was hoped to be, and it's been taken captive, and some of the things he had hoped for are being destroyed. And you guys, there's things in our lives that we have hopes for, dreams that we expect, and it could be the loss of a relationship, it could be the loss of a job, it can be the loss of a material possession, and we can, it can be the loss of our health, 
It could be things where that we just don't understand why is this happening to me. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your fault that it is happening to you, but it's causing you pain, it's causing you grief, and it may be somebody else's sin that is causing that as well. And yet we have to figure out how to make our way through that hurt. And Jonah is having a hard time with that. So he has a new expectation now. What is Jonah's new expectation? What is he hopeful for? If I can't get what I want, then what? Then hopefully God will take out these wicked people, right? That's his hope. That is his desire. He would love nothing more than to see these cruel people get what they deserve. Anybody here look for God's justice? I need Chase and I need Savani back in here. Anybody here look for God's justice? I do, right? When you see somebody mistreat a little child, you hear that on the news, I want the God of justice to show up. Amen? And like, where is he? Will he do something? That's where Jonah is. Where is this God that should come to the aid of his people? Why isn't he destroying the wicked? Why isn't he crushing them? Why isn't he bringing them to their knees? And what is interesting in this is God's decree on the people of Nineveh was for judgment, but Jonah knew God, and he knew what was going to happen. That's the problem. Jonah knew God, and he knew what was going to happen. And so here's the issue, and maybe you're here today, and I hope that you'll listen up close. Jonah needed to deal with bitterness in his own heart. He needed to live out the compassion of his God. Go back to that thing this morning when I first said, when was some time that someone mistreated you or hurt you or did something you thought was in, unjust in your life? Are you past it? Have you found a way to forgive it? Have you found a way to reconcile a God of justice with it? And today what we can see is there's so much to be learned from God and his character and even from Jonah and his character in dealing with this type of, and I'm going to call it grief at loss. And Jonah had some large losses, but he wasn't making reconciliation with God. Instead, he is running. And if you'll let me paraphrase this morning, Jonah basically said, I can't believe God is asking me to do this. I won't do it. God is asking me to reconcile with that person after what they did to me. I will not do it. That's why he runs. Now, on, on the side here, let me just say, God is about to do something crazy and incredible. And God may be about to do something crazy, incredible with you if you would submit yourself to the Lord. But instead, Jonah in his heart has said, no way, not those guys. God send me anywhere else. I'm not talking to those guys because I know what will happen is you'll end up forgiving them and I will just be so distraught. I'm not doing it. So the Lord throws him into the sea and you guys know what happens next, right? The great fish comes by. Look at an attempt at reconciliation. So let's go over to chapter two, an attempt at reconciliation. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You listened to my cry. Go down to verse 7. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And look at verse 8, such an awesome verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish. And I love this phrase, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What happened? He gets thrown overboard. He realizes this could be his end. Does he just say, well, I guess this is how it goes? No. And most of the time when we get to that place in our life where the Lord begins to discipline us and push on us, we begin to cry out to the God that we know and that we love and that we respect. Amen? And that's what he does. He says, I was in the depths. Can you imagine praying a lot of places? I've prayed in a lot of places, but I never prayed in the belly of a great fish. <laughs> and Jonah begins to beg God. He begs God for his help. And he basically says, I will do what you asked me to do. And then he brings up that verse 8, which is one of the most incredible quotes to me. I love how the NIV translates it there. And the idea is those who worship idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Was an idol going to bring Joseph, uh, Jonah up out of the belly of a fish? No chance. But grace is his because he worships the one true God. And here's what I want to remind you this morning. Grace is ready and it's waiting for you, but you've got to stop clinging to dead dreams and worthless things. Are you hearing that today? Grace is ready and it's waiting for you, but you've got to stop clinging to dead dreams and worthless things. You've got to cling to the Lord. So let's look at some real repentance that happens Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Look down in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had In my mind, I think probably Jonah, he's obeying the Lord, and he's just got a little bit of glimmer of hope that God's going to follow through. You guys got 40 days, and then God's taken down this wall. I know it's a three days journey. It's over. 40 days, judgment's coming. Count them down. 40 days, get ready. Here comes the Lord. Oh, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. And then verse 5, what does the scripture say? Oh, no. The Ninevites believe God. Have you ever witnessed to someone and then they come to Christ and you're like, what just happened there? <laughs> Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You've prayed a prayer and God answers and you're just like blown away. Like, well, I didn't think he would ever answer that in a million years. Right? That's what happens here. 
the wicked, the cruel, the evil people. The Bible says that they believe God from the least to the greatest. If you read those verses 6 through 9, you're going to see that they all dressed up in sackcloth and ashes. The whole city is mourning and repenting before a God that is not even their God. They believed Jehovah God would follow through. And that is the very essence of faith. The Ninevites took God at his word. That is faith. And they began to repent. No one was to eat or drink. They were to cry out to God urgently. Maybe, the king shares out, maybe God will relent. They turned from their evil ways. And what did God do with this? Oh, this is awesome. What does God do with anybody who says, I'm sorry for my wicked, evil ways. I'm going to turn from those ways, and I'm going to seek to do what you want, Lord. What's he do? He relents, and he loves, and he transforms. Anybody, the smallest to the greatest, the richest to the poorest, anybody from any walk of life, if they repent, he relents. No shouting? Just to you. Isn't that good truth? If they repent, he relents. And they do repent. This is probably the greatest picture of a corporate repentance in all the scriptures. The missionary God is having compassion on a foreign or an alien people because they repented. These are not Israelites. These are not his chosen people. These are Gentiles. <laughs> These are cruel, wicked, evil people who have persecuted the people of God, and he relents because they repent. Is there anybody too wicked for God to change? There is not. He's a missionary God, and he wants all people to be drawn to him. He's a merciful God. No matter what you deserve, he will forgive if you will repent. That's what we learned in Sunday school, but I think we forgot it. Wow. If you are serious about moving forward, dealing with whatever hurt or bitterness or the pain is in your life, you will need to own your sin. What does it mean to own something? Right? That's when you say, my bad. Anybody ever done that? I don't know how many times I was playing basketball in college. Oh, sorry, my bad. Sorry, my bad. Oh, sorry, my bad. Now, it's one thing to just say you're sorry, right? Does anybody like to hear someone say they're sorry all the time and never change? No. We have people like that, don't we? But here is someone who said they were sorry and they made change. You need to own your sin. I need to own my sin. Let go of those hopes and expectations we had. And here's what I want to hear what you hear this morning. Please, if you don't take anything else away, take this away today. Take hold of God's dream for you. It's the best move you will ever make. And let me say that through a scripture. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul here, writing to the church at Philippi, he shares all of who he was. I mean, he was an Israelite. He was a Benjamite. He was a Pharisee. He was, a, in regards to Pharisees, he was the top level of Pharisees, and he says all of that is worthless. And then we get to verse 12, and look what he says. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what? 
I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Why did Jesus save you? Ray, why did Jesus save you? What's he got for you? What's his dream for you? Vicki, why did God save you? What's his dream? Casey, why did God save you? What's his dream for you? Ida, why did God change you? What's his dream for you? Jesus died to take hold of something for you that you need to take hold of. That's your best life, is the life that Jesus died to take hold of for you. But so many times we try to take hold of everything else, don't we? Sometimes we even want to hold on to our bitterness. Anybody here like that? Anybody like a good pity party? <laughs> I always love, I could te tease them today, they're not here. They, may, they probably won't listen to the recording, so we're good. Anytime Brooklyn had a birthday party, it would be so fun, and she'd be happy, and all her friends around. And you know where Isaiah would always be? He would be off to the side, pouting. Like for the first seven or eight birthdays, I mean, it was like clockwork. You could count on it. If Brooklyn was having a birthday party, Isaiah was somewhere pouting because it wasn't his party. And some parents, you know what they would do? Oh, they would buy Isaiah a present on the same day. Mm -mm, let the boy pout, right? He needs to figure it out. It's not about him. And that's part of the lesson here today, right? Sometimes we just want to go and hover in our pity. And I'm telling you, Jesus has so much for you. He died to take hold of it. Will you take hold of what he had died that you may become, that you would be? Well, here's our lesson. That's kind of where we end up today. And let's really look at that pity party just a little bit more detail from Jonah. When you won't grieve your losses, when you won't repent, when you won't seek forgiveness, you end up with two, one of two things that preacher wants to highlight this morning, and that is either entitlement or pity or maybe even both. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Scripture says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What seemed wrong? That God relented to this wicked people. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And what did he do? He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? <laughs> Can you hear him just saying it? This is what I had tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's somebody who wants to stay in their pity party, right? That's why I ran away. I knew this would happen. These are bad people. They've been horrible to me. You're supposed to do bad things to them. I knew you were compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I knew you would relent if they would repent. That's why I didn't come here. Kill me now. That's what he's saying to God. Would you dare talk to God that way? God already brought him up out of a fish for three days, vomited him on the land. I'm like, I don't think I'd talk to God that way. <laughs> But Jonah, here's the ultimate example of somebody's like, no, I'm going to stay in my bitterness. I'm going to stay in my anger. I'm going to stay in my stuck place. And I just want to be there. What's, what's God say to, to Jonah in verse 4? Is it right for you to be angry? What do you think Jonah's reply would be? You bet your bottom dollar it's right for me to be angry. <laughs> I mean, I can see in the frame of mind that he is in, that is where he's speaking, right? Be honest. Again, and I'm not trying to 
drag up bad things. If you've already resolved them, please move on. But if there's something here today that's like just resonating, you're like, yeah, I haven't moved on from that. I'm still upset about it. I'm still angry about it. Why didn't God take that situation and bring justice to that person after the way they did me? That's where Jonah is. And I want to compare this a little bit to the idea that Jonah is feeling entitled. That's a modern kind of a phrase here today. What's it mean to be entitled? We really dump it on poor Casey's generation, right? All those millennials. Casey's probably even old enough to be a millennial. But we say they're entitled, right? What's an example of being entitled? Maybe Megan. Megan's generation, were you entitled, Megan? No, you don't think so? Let me give you an example. Oftentimes it shows up with bridezillas and on airplanes. Entitlement does. But let me just give you this example for something to think about. This was pretty crazy. Toby Myers, who writes for Metro in London in UK, reports on a wedding guest who revealed she was contacted by newlyweds to say that her gift to them was not generous enough. The unnamed guest posted to a forum asking for advice after she was told the 100 pounds, or about $125 of our money, that she provided to the couple, the wedding couple, wasn't enough. She revealed how the couple who had asked for cash for gifts had emailed to say they were surprised by her contribution and suggested an adjustment. She went on to say that the bride and groom declared, we were surprised that your contribution didn't seem to match the warmth of your good wishes on our big day. They added, in view of your own position, if you wanted to send any adjustment, it would be thankfully received. Thank you, Vicki. Vicki's shaking her head. That's the exact response I'm looking for. Isn't that crazy? How many of you would have the gall to send out your thank you notes and to some people and say, yeah, I really wanted a little better thing from you. I was kind of expecting more. If you want to send an adjustment, it would be much appreciated. That is what? That is entitlement, isn't it, right? That is someone thinking, I deserve better, and because of your situation, really, you should provide it for me. Again, that can happen in a parking lot. It can happen on the freeway. It can happen in a restaurant. And, oh, man, how many times does it happen in an airplane, right? Well, I should get to sit here because I have a little child, and you don't, or because I don't feel good today. You should move over. You should, I don't care what you paid. You should let me have this spot because I need it. Maybe you'll encounter that on the way. I hope not. We had a little lady in our own experience coming back where this one little kid happened to be kind of kicking the lady in, in front. And right before the plane took off, the lady in the front, she went ballistic, and she started cussing out that little kid. I thought Mama and that lady were going to have a knockdown drag out right on the plane. <laughs> it's one thing to have an expectation of some peace, but it's another thing in how you react. Amen? Hear the Lord today, we cannot live in entitlement. But Jonah isn't just angry, he's completely entitled, and so he throws a pity party, and the Lord tries to teach him a lesson. Look down at verse 5. So Jonah had gone out, and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plan. Amen? The Lord is good. 
I've got a shade, nice day, waiting to see Nineveh destroyed. Hopefully it'll come pretty quick. Hey, this is okay. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than you getting it? Right? The Lord pulled up the plant. The Lord took away the plant. When the plant was up there, God's good. When the plant is gone, what is God doing? I just, it'd be so much better if I could just die. Look in verse 9. This is what the Lord, I hope, is speaking to you and me today. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> Jonah says, it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Can you feel at least the Jonah just a little bit? You ever had that terribly bad, no good, rotten, horrible day, right? That's where Jonah is. God speaks to him. Do you have any right to be upset about this plant? Yeah, I do. You lost your job. Do you have any right to be upset about that? Well, I worked really hard. I have a great skill set. I'm really smart. You're the only one that made a path for you to have a job previously. Did God have any part in that? You lost your health. Something's not going right in your body. Are you upset about that? Well, yeah, I'm really upset about that. I try to eat right, try to work out, and this shouldn't be happening to me. Did you create that body? Did you make it? This person that I love, they don't love me back like I love them. I'm so upset about that. Why is that happening? Did you create the bond? Did you create the connection? Preachers, three in the building today. Why isn't this church growing like I wanted to? What's going on? I'm trying what I can do, and it's just not happening. Where are you at, God? It's my church. It's my name. It's my reputation. It's on the line. Make it right. Did you make the church? Is it your church? Is it your plant? Is it your body? Is it your job? Are you hearing the Lord today? It's as clear as a bell to me, right? Who are you, Jonah? Here you are, and here I am. Look in verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And look at verse 11. And should I, God says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I'm trying to be real careful here, but please hear this in the right tone, okay? There are people around you, in your office, in your family, in your neighborhood, and they are dying, and they are missing out on heaven, and you're concerned about finding the right show on Netflix. There are people who are broken, and they're hungry, and they're poor, and there are people who are being trafficked, and people are being abused, and you're more concerned about can you get the right shoes, or can you get the right app on your phone? You're worried, and I'm worried about the plant that we didn't even tend, that we didn't even make. And God says, I'm worried about the people. Because I'm merciful, 
that even though they deserve destruction, if they will repent, I will relent. By the way, God reminds us, remember when you repented, I relented on your behalf too. Hello? So the next time you hear this phrase that God is merciful, I hope it'll dig just a little bit deeper. Our God is a gracious and compassionate God. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. Please hear me out today. The book of Jonah is not about life recovery. It's about the compassion of a great God and his willingness to rescue even the most vile and wicked if they will repent. It is a fantastic example that contrasts a heart bent on revenge and stuck in grief with a humble and a contrite Ninevite heart. And it is a great picture of the ability or the inability to grieve the things that hurt you the most. Let's be thankful today for a God who hears our cries for repentance and rescues us from our sin and our misery. And I want to tie this all together with one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And there God says to Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God doesn't care about your burnt offerings. You bring in some burnt offerings today? Yeah, I'm giving a lot of money. God should be thankful for that. I'm giving a lot of time. I could be a lot of places today. God should be thankful for that. I read my Bible this morning. I said my prayers. Check, check, check. God better be, he owes me because I'm good to him. Amen? Sacrifice. God needs to be happy with my sacrifices. God says, I don't care about your sacrifices. I desire mercy because he is a merciful God. Amen? That's his attribute. That's his characteristic. Even those wicked, evil Ninevites, they repented and God relented. Okay, four things here. And we're just going to read them, and we'll be done this morning. What are you still bitter about, or where are you seeking revenge? I hope that you're not in any of those places, and I'm not trying to draw you up into anything. But it's very possible that even in a crowd this size, there's somebody who is still bitter or still looking for a way to get back at somebody. If you do today, hear the words of the Lord through the book of Jonah. Are you still working harder at claiming your rights than showing mercy to those around you? And this is, hits me. I'm more concerned about me and what I deserve and what I should get. Even as we think about Independence Day, I'm an American citizen. This is who I am. You better treat me. I, I got rights. I got privileges. Man, the Lord says, what about the people that don't want to write him from their love? Number three, can you comprehend the mercy of God? The answer to that question real quick is no. <laughs> right? You can start to get it. Are you still earning your way to him and judging those less than you? Lord's killing me here this morning. Are you hearing him talking? Are you still trying to earn your way to God's favor and then judging those around you who are less than you? And then finally, here's where I want us to get to. Will you share this wonderful characteristic of God with those in your life? I desire mercy. That's what I want to see.